Good evening, Missoula. You are listening to 105.5 KFGM, Missoula's community radio station, streaming online live at 1055kfgm.org. That's from anywhere in the world, folks. You can tune into our sweet Missoula radio station. Uh, and we are just starting off Becca's Evening Buzz. And for those of you who don't know, uh, on Becca's Evening Buzz, I, Becca, uh, interview someone uh, from the community or of my choosing every week and play some live tunes on guitar. And so uh, this week, our guest is actually uh, not from around here. Um, would you like to say hello? And we'll see if we can get your voice there. Uh, his name is Nathan Langston, and he has written a book that you can access online uh, for free, actually. And uh, go ahead, say hello. 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 Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for taking the time out of your uh, busy day to uh, come on the radio and talk to us about your book. And uh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> and also in the studio, we have Ari Lissaw. And uh, she has been on this show a couple times with me, and she's learning how to use the equipment around here. And she has also read Nathan Langston's book. In fact, she is the one who uh, put me in touch with Nathan in the first place and said, you got to have this guy come on your show. So uh, here the three of us are. Well, uh, Nathan, you're in Seattle, actually. Mm -hmm. But uh, we, we can see you because we are doing a video call, and I have the computer hooked up right here. So, folks, even though my guest uh, is not... Uh, in Missoula, he is loud and clear and uh, loud and proud. Let's see. Here we go. <laughs> Nathan, uh, how's your day in Seattle been? Ah, it's beautiful. I've just been at work all day. Um, so, yeah, just looking out on the Puget Sound right now. The sun is going down over the water, and it is gorgeous. Mm. Oh, I bet. You have a view right out over the water of Puget Sound? Mm, yeah, it's uh, it's dreamy. Oh, that sounds delightful. And um, what sort of work do you do? What's your day work? Oh, I'm a, a software designer, and we're a, a dime a dozen out here in Seattle. So hopefully, you get paid more than a dime for being a dime a dozen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, Ari, why don't you come up to the mic and let's hear how your mic is sounding this evening? Because uh, it always takes us just a moment to get everything adjusted uh, with this interview format. So go ahead, Ari, say hello. Good evening. And your mic is not on. So um, what we're going to do is, Nathan, we're going to have you just tell us a little bit about your background and um, so people get a feel for uh, who you are. And your book is, I, I wouldn't say it's a run-of-the-mill book, uh, and it's online. Is there a printed copy? Uh, no, not yet. Um... We we may be printing some eventually, but uh, nope. Currently, it is just online. Um, yeah, I uh, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. I was uh, a musician out there, uh, a poet, um, and I then moved from there to New York, where I lived for about eight years, something along there, and then uh, had my first kid and so we moved uh, out to Seattle just to be closer to family um, yeah and so in New York I ran a an arts nonprofit um, we did mostly ballet and modern dance um, that company is called satellite collective um, and then I just haphazardly stumbled my way into tech etc 
Um, but this book I've been working on, um, and the name of it is uh, I Need You to Tell Me Everything. Um, I've been working on it for at least 10 years, probably longer than that, probably closer to 13 or 15 years. Um, and you, you said this and, was your fifth iteration, right? Of, of the book. Yeah, this is the fifth time I've, I've tried it. Every time I've tried to write this book, um, my life has kind of blown up. Um, it's partly just because it's about such uh, traumatic stuff. It's about um, childhood sexual abuse in a church. Um, and it, it just wrecked me every single time that I tried it. Most of the time, I usually only got about halfway through before I had to abandon it just um, for my own mental well-being. Um, but uh, this, time, this time, it blew my life up again. Um, but somewhere in the midst of that uh, chaos, I just felt like I'm going to finish this no matter what. The whole world can end, and I'm still putting this out. Um, and so now I have. It came out uh, last week. Um, well, I, I thank you for the time that you took to, to write this book and for being brave enough to work through all of those iterations and come, uh, come out with a completed edition because um, Ari and I were talking about this uh, before the show. We are both survivor, survivors of childhood sexual abuse. And uh, I, I, it's a very personal account that you wrote. And uh, I've never wanted to write a book about <laughs> what happened to me. And I think it takes a lot of um, courage. And, and I thank you because it actually reading... Uh, and I didn't get to finish reading it yet. And uh, I, I will because I really have... <clears throat> I guess if you could call that enjoying it, I've enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and appreciated it, and um, with all that's happening in the world today, and all of these cases of people coming forward, you said something in your book about how, right? If you have a big name and it's a huge deal, and everybody can identify with that person and say like, "Oh, I know who that is." Oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. But what about the people who aren't big and famous who went through the same thing, and their story is? Yep. Uh, equally, if not uh, more important, because there aren't as many <laughs> coming of those stories coming to light. Well, and I imagine that uh, the vast majority of people who experience this, they are sort of one-offs. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not necessarily attached to an easily definable bigger story. Um, so, you know, I, I, where it happened for me was in a Baptist church um, from about the ages of... 10 to 14, um, and Baptist churches are much more autonomous than um, Catholic churches, which are much more interconnected and hierarchical. Um, so when I was able to interview Michael Resendez, the, the um, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, reporter who worked on Spotlight, um, he, he agreed that, that the reason that that story was so huge and blew up so big was because it implicated everyone up the hierarchy all the way to the Pope. Um, whereas most, most people, when it happens to them, it's just, you know, it's, it's just someone they know and it's, it's no bigger story. It's not going to be front page news. And I think that, that um, a, a lot of women, when the Me Too movement was happening, they were experiencing that too, you know, um, a lot of the big stories, the initial stories were, you know, huge celebrities 
you know, both the victim or the perpetrator were, were these big celebrities. And that's why it was making such huge headlines. But a lot of these people are, you know, they're, they're just regular folk like us. So, yeah. Uh, and their perpetrator is also just regular, well, kind of regular folk, right? I mean, like not right. Um, and and yours, yours, uh, what did go to jail, right? But uh, mm -hmm. many of ours, mine never went to jail, right? So you kind of live with this thing that that happened that was awful, but there's never any justice, and it sinks kind of sinks into the bottom of the lake, <laughs> and there yeah. is nobody, no divers are ever going to find it, mm -hmm. except for the person who remembers it. Um, well, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, it's it, it's it, an interesting thing. I mean, I think it's really important to um, try to bring those folks to justice. I think that that's an important, um, you know, uh, element. Um, I think it needs to happen, um, but it doesn't really. The story never really ends there. Um, you, you you do get some sort of satisfaction. You do get a little bit of resolution, but the damage that has been done to you is still with you the day after that person goes to jail, you know, and it's still with you when they get released. Some of the effects that you talked about in your book uh, really hit home with me that, you know, there's all of these things that happen when you're, when you've been sexually abused at some point in your life, the ways that it affects you, you, you can't really piece it apart. It's not easy. It's like, like you said, the experience gets strewn throughout your body. <laughs> and um, it's hard to know exactly how that experience uh, uh, affected you, except that then, for me at least, when I then went to have relationships in my life, it was <laughs> really quite difficult. So um, people have to Right. The, the, the perpetrator may or may not come to justice, but in the meantime, we have to move forward with our lives, live our lives and and be happy and figure out how to how to do that and be among people and, and be OK. And and that's can be very challenging, I, I think, when you don't well, trust. <laughs> well, before I mean, before we go any further, I mean, we can talk about the, the neurology of it and how the brain is working, how the brain is actually changed by it. But I think more than anything like I'm just I'm so sorry that that happened to you you know I'm so sorry that that was done to you you know yeah like I, I wrote a whole I Us wrote too. a whole I wrote a whole book about it and I still don't really ever know what to say there's either you know too much to say or or nothing to say you know well, I think, though, it's interesting that you say anything at all, right? <clears throat> Most of us uh, only talk about this with our close friends, uh, much less live on the air, much less in a whole book uh, online where that's a very personal account. But and there, there's something I, I believe in that the point of this show is that in talking about things, we can we can heal them and we can understand them and they can become not such a big stigma. And that's really important because if this is happening to that many of us, then clearly we need to be able to talk about it more openly so that we understand how to keep an eye out for it better, how to warn our children better, how to help our children through uh, experiences like that if they do happen because they very well might despite our best efforts to look out for them. <laughs> right. And well, I mean, if the, if the CDC, if their numbers are even close to accurate, you have talked to and interacted with many people today in person who have been through this experience. I mean, it is a global pandemic. 
um, and it exists just beneath the skin, and it's just not talked about, you know. I mean, and trauma itself, the lasting trauma that comes from it, that trauma itself is a communicable disease, you know. I mean, people that are traumatized often end up traumatizing other people. So, you know, it has to be dealt with. Yeah, that's a good point. People who have been traumatized can then traumatize other people because they don't have the the, the emotional container, right, to, the, to take them out into the world and allow them to interact with others in a way that's okay for others too, perhaps. Um, mm -hmm. Ari, why don't you come up to the mic? I haven't heard you say anything. Hello. And I got your mic up and running. Did you notice? Wonderful. Yes. Nice, nice to join the two of you. And uh, I'm going to make sure my guitar is turned on because now I'm not getting the sound out of my guitar. So now that I got you up and running, why don't you uh, say hi for a second to, to Nathan to tell us about your day for a moment and we'll, we'll keep getting this <laughs> show on the road. Well, Nathan, I just want to say thank you again for coming on with us tonight. It's really brave what you've done and that you're making space, holding space for other people to share and continuing to share. I mean, I can't imagine what that experience is like. Um, I've only recently come out with my story and shared it with people in the last year. And I can tell you it, it has a physical effect on my body. There's a total shift every time I verbalize it. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, um, has anything changed for you since your book has come out since people have started reaching out to you. How, how has that experience been for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, when I was writing this, I pretty much couldn't think past pushing the publish button and making the book go live. Um, I, I couldn't think beyond that. Um, and I just was not at all prepared mentally or psychologically for the amount of response. Mm -hmm. that has uh, come through. I mean, I've been getting maybe 10 to 40 of the most heartbreaking, devastating letters that you can imagine. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes people telling me for the first time, uh, you know, telling anyone for the first time or, um, yeah. So it, it, it's been really difficult to process. And I think for me, um, the biggest thing is that I knew that this was the most underreported crime, mm -hmm. um, that this was the most taboo crime and that people didn't talk about it, but I didn't really know mm -hmm. if that makes sense. I, di I didn't actually know until people started writing in. Um, and it, it's, it's an honor that they've been reading it and been sharing some of their experiences with me for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's obvious a lot of lives have already been touched by your story and it continues to, to reach more and more people and just the power of sharing and the power of connecting and not feeling alone and not keeping it inside is just... Empowering. <laughs> empowering and a lot of the work that I try to do here in Missoula, that's, that's my goal, that's my focus is to get people feeling comfortable enough to share and yeah well I like that you um, brought up the, um, the, the physical aspect of it mm -hmm. um, because I mean the body itself in these situations is the instrument of abuse mm -hmm. you know what I mean it's the, the seat where this trauma comes from uh, primarily mm -hmm. um, 
And I think that, you know, when trauma, trauma actually happens, what's happening in the brain is that the, the, you know, your, your cortex is, is basically turned off and you're storing these traumatic memories in your limbic system, mm-hmm. um, which has no understanding of time. It doesn't, it, it's like a baby. Like it, it doesn't understand that there's a future and that there's a past. And that's why those traumatic memories feel like they're happening now. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're so dangerous and they're, they, they just feel so violating when you get triggered. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, a lot of those memories are stored physically throughout your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way that you get away from that is you disassociate your, your mind mm-hmm. from your body. The, you, you know, there's a big split that happens there. Um, so what, what I'm doing now is I'm trying to put my mind back into my body a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, meditation definitely helps. Yep. Um, but for me lately, the, the biggest one that has been uh, uh, helping me out is dancing, going out dancing. Oh, it's not really, so, yes. it's not something that I've done a lot. You know what I mean? Like I haven't, you know, usually thought, you know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find just a really dope club and I'm going to go dancing just for dancing's sake. That, that and, makes me really happy to hear. Yeah, no, and, and it, it works. It, I mean, that when it comes to trauma, dancing is real, real good medicine. You, so. you just answered one of my questions I had put together for you because you've mentioned oh. dancing a lot and I am a fellow lover of dancing and I kind of feel like Ditto. I kind of dance the trauma out somehow. Like when you get so with your body, your mind and your body are together. It's like that has to be doing something profound for that trauma that's stored in your body. Mm-hmm. I, that just makes me so happy. I was definitely going to ask you about that. Well, Especially yeah. A beautiful I, sound. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anytime, any, I, I think that when you're in the midst of dance and you kind of go into that, it's, it's a little bit like a blindness or something mm-hmm. where you're not thinking but you're just completely present in your body. Mm-hmm. To, to some degree, that's one of the biggest forms of FU to trauma. You know what I mean? Agreed. That yeah. is. That's, yeah. That's awesome. I, I try to do it every day, just a little bit at least. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, speaking of beautiful sounds, um, uh, Nathan, I, you don't, you're not familiar with my show. So unfortunately, um, actually the show doesn't start until I play the evening ditty. And, <laughs> uh, uh, so... Um, uh, you'll be on Becca's Evening Buzz in just a moment. Um, uh, and I, I do believe I got the sound adjusted on, on my guitar. And the cool. sound always goes through. And you play an instrument. You play fiddle? What do you play? Yeah, violin. Violin. Primarily. Yeah. There we go. And you said that you were pl- in your book, you said violin, but they were in a, like a rock band or something, it sounded like. So I was like, I was that's in still a million bands. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, then this will be. Yo, you, if, if I had had some more. Um, uh, a couple more thoughts in my mind. I might have had you play some live tunes, but you look like you're at your your you're at your office anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they would think it was pretty weird here. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's get it. Let's see how this guitar is doing. I did tune it up. We're gonna play the evening ditty, and uh, maybe I'll play a song. Sometimes I start the show off with a song, and none of these shows are planned. It's just how it how it rolls. But it gives my guests a moment to to just to chill, to enjoy the evening. Mm-hmm. Becca's evening buzz Wind down your day with us We 
We've got live tunes for you and a guest or two. Nathan Langston and Ari Lissaw. You wanna get the load down? Find out what's up in this town. So now the show has officially started. Welcome to Becca's Evening Buzz. And uh, maybe I will play a song just to start us off. And, um, you know, this song, I wrote it when I was 37 to make myself feel better about turning 37. And uh, and Ari knows this song, uh, but I I think it's a good song for perhaps what we're we're talking about, maybe a little bit. So I always like to try to play songs that seem seem pertinent. And uh, so here we go. This is called the Magic Pill 37 Blues Mantra. And uh, here we go. Whoops. And we're going to try that again. Keep an eye on your mind 
this existence There's no called the magic pill 37 blues mantra and uh you know as i was playing that song um nathan uh, uh, the lyrics say in this existence there's no resistance but sometimes it really feels like there's a lot of resistance right and uh, coming uh I i would say from from inside right it's we resist the way things have happened in our lives and how not to resist those things, right? I mean, horrible things happen to people and then we have to somehow find that, that space in our lives where we can still be okay despite all of that. And I think you went through a lot of resistance in before you were able to write your book and, and get it get it out, right, of your system. Maybe I mean, I wouldn't say that you maybe ever get it com entirely out of your system. Hopefully I'm wrong about that. Hopefully we do get it entirely out of our systems. But um, what, do you, what do you have to say about your own experience, Nathan, um, getting traumatic experiences out of your system or how do you right how do you get to a point where there's no resistance anymore do you feel like you've reached that point no no i'm not there yet and i don't i definitely don't mean this book as um like a self-help situation where um i'm coming at it from a, a place of saying i've got it all figured out or my life is perfectly put together um that that's not what I'm trying to do. It, it, it's more bearing witness and just kind of sharing um, my experience. Um, that said, I even though I haven't gotten there yet, I am at a place where I believe in it, where I feel like I can see it, um, where I believe that it is actually possible. Um, and I'd say that that um, when it comes to trauma, you you can't ever forget it. And you never should, um, but you can get to a place where uh, um, the the trauma from a memory it, it is resolved, um, and I mean like really, really resolved. Um, and so when you think back on that thing, you'll still feel anger, and you'll still feel sadness and um, loss, but a traumatic memory is one that is still in your brain as though it's happening now, you know? So some of that like panic response, some of the panic response and the feeling that this is something that can hurt you now, I think that that can actually be put away. That, that can actually be resolved um, just by taking that memory and putting it where it belongs, which is in the past, so. Um, but a lot of us know that these memories are in the past, you know, obviously they're in the past. Um, 
I wonder what was the most because you uh, in in your book you said you tried like seven uh, seven therapists and seven therapies or however many might have been way more than that. What mm. what did you find most helpful? Oh, all sorts of things. Um, I so yeah, I basically started uh, therapy when I was maybe twenty, um, and I am now. 38, I want to say. Me too. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. Uh, so I've, I've been doing it for a long time with a bunch of different um, therapists working in a whole bunch of different disciplines and modalities. Um, for me, a lot of that was talk therapy, um, where you're, you're, you're telling the story over and over. You're talking about what happened and what you think about it. Um, for me, though, I felt as though my trauma didn't live in the part of my mind that makes up words, that 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 thinks conscious thoughts, um, and there is actually some, uh, you know, neurological bearing on that. That trauma actually isn't stored in the part of me that is responsible for executive functioning, <laughs> executive thinking, you know, um, and. So what I what I was doing for the last year and a half or so, and and a big part of the book itself, um, I was using uh, EMDR, which is called uh, it stands for Eye Movement Reprocessing and Desensitization. Um, it, eye, eye movement processing and desensitization. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. EMDR. EMDR. Mm -hmm. And. It is a, it's somewhat new. I mean, all of neurochemistry, the study of neurochemistry is pretty new. But um, this is some uh, technique that has been used for a lot of soldiers that have come home from war that have deep trauma from that. Um, and it's been shown to actually help them with their PTSD um, and has been adopted all over. So it's not actually uh, used or it's not described in the DSMV yet, but um, for me it really worked. And part of the reason that it worked is because um, ba basically you sit in front of a therapist and they wave their hands, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, back and forth in front of your face, and you follow that with your eyes. And then they stop and say, okay, what are you thinking about now? And then they do it again. What are you thinking about now? And each time you only speak for maybe 20 or 30 seconds. Um, and there's all sorts of suggestions as to how this actually works, like what is happening in the brain for this to work. Um, but for me, the biggest thing was it was just distracting. Like, like I, I was in the midst of trying to spin a tale about what happened to me, and then I'd get distracted out of it. So every time I spoke, it was just something that just popped out of me rather than me trying to craft a narrative about what had happened to me. And I found that to be extremely powerful um, because I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily writing a book in, in therapy or writing a, uh, you know, a poem or trying to make sense of it. I was just following memory by memory by memory, and it led to some really unexpected places. 
So EMDR, EMDR therapy uh, is what helped you. And I just want to say, because we haven't told anyone what your website is for your book, it is telleverything.art. Again, telleverything.art and then backslash uh, tell everything. Uh, tell everything. I think that's I'm looking at the. And uh, that's where you can find this book online, folks. And once again, you you, you can just go straight. Oh, tell everything. HTTPS uh, colon backslash backslash tell everything dot art backslash tell everything art. So a pretty easy link to follow, folks. And that book is just sitting there online waiting to be read. Um, and Nathan Langston, the gentleman who wrote it, is right here uh, live with us in the studio uh, in spirit. He's, his presence is in Seattle. Uh, and Ari Lissau is with me in the studio also. And we are talking with Nathan Langston about his book, um, I Need You to Tell Me Everything. And uh, it's about uh, sexual abuse that Nathan uh, endured when he was, uh, gosh, it was several years, right? Like 10 to 14 or 11 to 14, mm -hmm. something like that. Yep. Yep. And um, others of us have been lucky to not have had to have it uh, right in our lives for such a long time. Uh, I'm very thankful that it wasn't that, that long in my life. And uh, But you endured as a child um, through that experience, and you had some coping mechanisms that you mentioned. And I'd like to talk about some of those coping mechanisms that you had that maybe served you as a child but then no longer served you as an adult. Um, because, right... I guess I was telling Ari before this uh, this show that one thing I want people to hear tonight is what are uh, how do we get through these experiences a and how do we stay out of them b um, and if people recognize that they are doing this or that this is happening in their life right because I, you didn't know that you were just coping right you mm -hmm. thought that you were you were living your life and doing what you needed to do but. You were your body was kind of in like emergency mode constantly, and um, and you were just getting through it. And uh, I, I, like I said, I didn't get to finish your book yet, uh, and I definitely will because I've really been going through it. Um, so I'm not sure what what brought you out of the experience or what made you. I think. Oh wait, you said you got too old. You got too old. You were 14, and uh, the dude you you no longer did it for for the dude. So he then like left you alone or something like that, right? Yeah, um, technically a person that is um, sexually aroused by a, a kid of that age, like 10 to 14, is technically called an ebophile um, rather than a pedophile. But they, um, but yeah, it basically past a certain age, it just doesn't do it for them anymore. And as twisted as it is, as a kid, I felt abandoned when it was over, which is just almost too gruesome to think about now. But um, this was a somebody that I felt was a friend, um, a spiritual mentor, somebody who was you know, teaching me how to pray, telling me about God and what God was. Um, and so when that relationship was over, as messed up as it is, there was an emptiness that 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 followed, which, yeah, I, I I still struggle to to make sense of that. That 
that I felt sad when my abuse was over. Um, but the reactions that kids have are, are pretty unpredictable. Well, maybe in a sense, it's that feeling of like being admired for something and then no longer admired <laughs> anymore yeah. for that, that thing. Um, who knows? But uh, I guess what I was getting or want to get at is that this was someone that you trusted, that you look mm -hmm. up, looked up to, that you admired uh, as, as a role model. And um, but it was uh, it was all a, all a lie. Right. The whole experience when he kind of like moved on to his next prey. Uh, you realize that it wasn't anything more, I, I would imagine, than what he wanted from you at the time and got, right? Despite yeah. and without any thought for your well-being or, right? He was, it was a very manipulative situation. You were very manipulated. And oh, fully. Didn't really yeah. recognize. I, I want anyone listening, if this is happening to them, like to recognize that it, right? This is happening and it can come from someone that you trust and it can come from, right? But if they're touching you inappropriately, then it's not not okay no matter who it is well and it's it it's important to remember that it's not just the victim that is being um manipulated and groomed and you know psychologically prepared to accept a situation like this a, a really prolific and talented predator actually has to groom an entire community so so parents uh, uncles and aunts, people at a school, people at a church, a whole host of people have to be um, manipulated in order to make it possible for something like this to occur. So when you say you, you should keep your eye out for it, that, that can be very difficult. I mean, um, if, you, if you think about somebody like Jerry Sandusky or Jared Fogle, the subway guy, right? He... They, they had foundations to help children, you know. It, it gave them access, one, and, and the ability to be alone with kids, but it simultaneously made everyone around them think, this is a person who really, really cares for children, who really gets them and really wants the best for them. And the, the whole point of grooming a community is that when a single suspicion arises or someone thinks, nah, that's, the, that, that's not right, that's not right, that doesn't seem right, the first thought that a predator wants everybody to have is not him. Mm -mm. Couldn't mm -mm. possibly be. No, 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 because if it was that person, that means that I've been working for this person for 10 years and didn't know. Or... I uh, gave money to this person's campaign, or uh, that that would mean that our church helped facilitate abuse. No, 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 no. That's not that's not possible. And if if you think that's not possible, then that's that's the victory. That's the manipulation. You know. Which is also why it's been so rampant for so many years in so many different systems like the church, right? Because they were all covering it up. <laughs> because well, what do you do if everybody finds out? Oh my gosh, right? And well, eventually everybody is finding out. Um, and, you know, I have a, a, a several older gentlemen friends and one of them was telling me the other day that he can't even say a hello to a child on the street anymore. 
Uh, he feels uncomfortable with kind of all of the stuff that has gone on these days. Like as an older gentleman, <laughs> he feels that it, older people can't even speak to children anymore without suspicions being aroused. So what you were just saying about behavior like this, right, sexual predators in the community, it's not just the, the child and the victim who is affected, it's then the whole community. Suddenly we're all on our toes, like, oh my gosh, we, despite our best efforts, our children are still falling prey to this, right, hor horrendous uh, leaning that some adults seem to have towards, right? Well, and I think, I think that that is um, something that a lot of folks said in when the Me Too story was blowing up, right? They were saying, oh, well, now I can't talk to women at all, or I can't associate with women at work, or I can't, you know, uh, have any, any sort of contact because maybe they'll think that I'll do something bad. No, that's, that's, that's not true. Like, the point of this work is to capture that back so that we actually have the ability to have these beautiful relationships, you know, old folk should be hanging out with kids, you know, it, it, you know, children need that, old people need that, you know, it, it, it's just, it's a matter of putting this out publicly and addressing it together so that we can actually steal that back, steal that inter interaction back. Um, what you mean, you mean communicate? Do you mean we, we need to communicate? Sure. Sure, sure, sure. That's going to make it better, to communicating? Really? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, I really uh, am on the same page as you with, with that, um, that people communicating about this uh, is way more effective than pretending it never happened or not talking to each other at all because we're too afraid we're going to now offend somebody or right <laughs> bring up the wrong subject, subject or look at someone wrong and look at a child wrong and they're going to run and tell their parent who knows right but if we are able to communicate with one another and also you know, feel confident that our children know what interactions are okay and what interactions are not okay i wonder um nathan um when i was a, a little girl i was in third grade when all of this terrible stuff happened in my life and um the only reason i realized that it really wasn't good uh, was and I knew it wasn't good, but the only reason I realized that I needed to tell somebody and the only reason I told someone was because uh, a cop came to an assembly at my school when I was in third grade. And this is the only type of assembly we ever had of that sort. It never happened before then or since then. Uh, and he talked about sexual abuse. And he told all of us of kindergarten through fifth grade students what it looks like uh, to be sexually abused. And there I sat in my third grade class and was horribly, uh, terribly disturbed to realize that what the cop was describing to the entire school was what was happening to me uh, with a babysitter at the time. Wow. And uh, I would not have known. I would not have known to tell my mother that this was happening, and she had no idea. And um, I, was, I was horribly embarrassed. And I think that was why I, I didn't want to tell my mom. I, I'm not sure. I don't remember anymore. But I just, when the cop came and the, he told us all this, all this stuff, the light went off in my brain. And that very same night I went home and I told my mom about it. And it took a lot of my, I was very afraid to tell her. Very afraid. This, my mother, who I should trust above all <laughs> other people, I was so uh, very afraid to tell her about it. And of course, you know, she 
comforted me a great deal, and we never saw that babysitter again. But when I think to myself, if that cop had not come into my school at that point in time, how that sexual abuse would have continued in my life and would have grown worse because it was growing worse. Um, it, I shudder to think of that and that I wouldn't have told my, my parent. And so um, I, do, I do very badly want this conversation to go out on the airwaves so that people listening, <laughs> uh, possibly even young people, know that y you have to seek help if something like this is happening to you. If you feel in any way that an interaction with an, with an, with an adult or with someone, <laughs> it doesn't have to be an adult, right? Uh, is is not going going well that they're not treating you well or not uh, what's what's the not respecting your physical sovereignty uh, in right um, that you have to you have to tell someone you have to communicate and so what you were just saying about communicating about it if the person who it's happening to doesn't communicate to begin with or feel doesn't feel that they can communicate that to their community which many don't and it takes a really long time then then the predatory behavior can never be corrected or that that person will never come to justice and they might just go out and do it to a bunch of other people right like you realized mm. nathan <laughs> after he stopped preying on you oh good great he's left me alone but wait a minute <laughs> he's not done right mm -hmm. so um it is it's a team effort it's a community <coughs> effort and to have healthy communities people need to feel that they can come to their community and be lifted up and not ostracized for right it's not our fault if you are the the uh, victim of sexual uh, pre predation, <laughs> it's not your fault. Uh, but somehow that's part of the twisted manipulative story. People who are sexually preyed upon can very easily uh, be led to believe or believe that it's their fault. Well, firstly, thank God for that cop, you know. Yes. I, wherever you are, thank you, cop. <laughs> <laughs> but the the... It, it, it's really interesting. Like even this book, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk about what happened to me too explicitly. Um, the book is a little bit explicit. Um, the uh, the there's a movie out about eighth grade right now about that accurately depicts what it's like to be in eighth grade. But that accurate depiction of the eighth grade got the movie uh, uh, rated R. So it means that a kid who is actually in eighth grade cannot be allowed to see an accurate depiction of what they're actually going through. And I think that that is just a perfect metaphor for, for, for all of this. It's like you wouldn't want to tell a 10-year-old how horrible sexual abuse could be. You wouldn't want to let them read the book that I just wrote. But they could be actually experiencing this very, very difficult adult thing. And if they, if they haven't been talked to about it, they won't understand it. They won't understand what to do or, or, or how to respond in a way that will get them out of danger. So, I, I, yeah, thank God for that cup. Yeah, uh, as I, I, I still shudder to this day to think what would have happened if he hadn't uh, come, come into my school that day. Ari, is there anything that you would like to say? Because um, I know that 
Um, this subject matter has been on your mind these days, and um, mm. we had a show a couple weeks ago, Nathan, where Ari came on, and we just talked about consent for about <laughs> 30 minutes, perhaps. Mm. The new buzzword in the, I, I feel like, you know, consent was not a word that was thrown around when I was a kid, and mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a really important word to describe two people, uh, right, being intimate with one another, and uh, consent is not always, right, consent has to be obvious, enthusiastic consent, right, not just consent, but enthusiastic consent on, on both people's parts. And if one party is not exhibiting, showing, feeling, right, expressing enthusiastic consent, then you do not have a consensual interaction. Right. Um, <laughs> and that is very, very important, especially for young people, right, to recognize what a healthy, um, what a healthy, interaction looks like between two people who especially are planning on being intimate there has to be enthusiastic consent mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um ari do you want to say anything well you're you're right it, it has been uh something that's it's on my mind most days most of the day um yeah i have so much to say and i sometimes don't have many filters, so I tend to just be quiet when I need to be. Um, but I agree that talking about it is absolutely the best place to start. And talking to children, we need people of all ages participating in this. Um, this isn't an individual problem. This isn't just a, a male problem. This is a, it's a systems problem, really. Um, that requires all of our participation. And I've really been racking my brain for a long time on like, what, what do we do about childhood sexual abuse, about, you know, adult sexual assault? I'm involved in a very recent case myself and it's really interesting um, getting to know the, the whole justice system process for, cause this is the first time that I've ever reported and man so i don't i don't know it's an intimidating process isn't it it really is and you talked about in your book not really knowing how to feel about the sentencing that he received and like mm -hmm. what what the purpose behind our our you know all of that is and personally i i think it's it's very flawed and i i don't really anticipate a, a satisfactory outcome whether there's a conviction or not personally because I don't really care about someone sitting in prison like that doesn't bring me joy that doesn't like it just doesn't help the problem the larger problem like okay that's that's a that's an outcome between me and another person but like what about everyone else like there are so many stories like you've received so many stories and there are so many more this is a larger problem and I don't, I don't, I don't know how we tackle it, but I think we start in places like this, talking about our experiences and sharing ideas on on what what we can do, and working well, together. You're you're one hundred percent right about about talking to somebody. Hmm. I mean, that's always, 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 always the first step is just to tell somebody hmm. like. If you want to stay alive, if you want to recover, if you want to be yourself again, mm. you have to tell someone, you know, mm -hmm. and, and as and that is 
so scary. Mm -hmm. That's just so terrifying. And it's, um, it, it's made that way purposefully oftentimes mm -hmm. by people who commit this. They, that's the way that they groom a victim mm -hmm. is they make them scared of being able to talk about what has happened to them. I couldn't um, possibly talk about this. They'll lose their job. Mm -hmm. I couldn't yeah. possibly talk about this. What about their family? I know. I, yes. they think? I'll ruin their life. Like, that's how I feel yep. as a survivor. Shoot, like, what if I'm ruining their life and it was really my fault? You know, what if, yep. what if me pressing charges and me speaking my truth is ruining some confused person's life, you know, and that feels pretty crappy. <laughs> like They have children. Yeah. How could I possibly? Existing in this, like, uh, <laughs> constant dissonance of, like, I'm right, but I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's the scariest thing in the world because then your relationship with yourself is really challenged. Like, who am I? Did I make this up? Am I being truthful? Or am I trying to protect myself? It's like, it's, it's just really scary and confusing. The, the, those ideas were put on you. Mm -hmm. the, that, that's part of what was done to you. Right. You know? So if, if the person is, is powerful, that will be brought into play. Like you said, they have kids. They will highlight the fact that they have kids and a family. They sure did. Um, the, you know, I, what was instilled in me was a sense that if this came out, the church would just explode, right? Right, yeah. Um, when, when I first had, um, and this is in the book, when um, a detective first came and approached me, um, he, he said, you know, Nathan, you've been traumatized, and, but I have to tell you something horrific which is that my last case, we had, we found the body of a, a woman raped out in the woods. And he described it to me. And he said, I'm not telling you that freak you out. I'm not telling you that to impress you. I'm telling you that because I need you to know that you don't have to protect me. You can tell me the worst possible thing that, that has ever happened to you and I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be just fine. And I, I needed to hear that. Yeah. 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 And that's, yeah, that's really important, important for, for anybody, anybody out, there out there to hear, to hear that, that if you do you tell, do somebody, tell somebody, you're not going to hurt them, right? Mm. <laughs> you can't hurt somebody by, by telling them something traumatic that's happened to you, but make sure that you do tell someone that you trust, right? Because yeah. mm -hmm. uh, if you don't, if you tell the wrong person, they, it, it might not be the, the, the experience that you need <laughs> out of that yep. conversation and could even make it worse. I think I have a lot of fear about sharing with people because I know that you know, we've all got our own trauma and I have this very big fear of triggering other people's trauma. I don't want to like traumatize them with my trauma. So it's, I oftentimes ask permission, like, are you in a space to receive something, something well, like I, that? I, I think that not talking oftentimes comes from a good place of wanting to protect people. Mm -hmm. um, one story, I can't share specifics about it that came in um, to me over the last week was uh, a woman who didn't tell her brother for years and years and years because um, she didn't want to put that on him. Mm -hmm. She didn't want to, to, she wanted to protect him from that. Mm -hmm. um, and when she finally did 
tell he just he just broke down in tears because mm -hmm. it had been done to him too mm -hmm. and he hadn't told her because he was trying to protect her mm -hmm. uh, yeah oh how we are manipulated <laughs> right how these situations can be so manipulative um uh, just we're gonna take a short short moment to say that you are listening to 105.5 kfgm missoula's community radio station streaming live online at 1055kfgm.org. That's from anywhere in the world, folks. And uh, we are in the middle of Becca's evening buzz, and we have two, two folks participating in this, uh, in this show today. Uh, we have Nathan Langston uh, in Seattle, but here with us via Google Hangouts. Thank you, Google Hangouts. And... Uh, and, and Ari Lissaw here in the studio, and we are talking about Nathan Langston's book. And you can find this book at uh, telleverything.art backslash telleverythingart. And this is, uh, and it, it's, uh, I, need to, I need to tell you, I look at your website and then I get confused about your, the name of your book. Tell, I need to tell you everything. That's the name mm -hmm. of the book. There we go. And uh, folks, this book is sitting here online, and it's a very, very personal account of your experience of childhood sexual abuse and not only that your your process kind of coming th through it and 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 starting to put it behind you in your life and um a and just as, just so you know i had never read a book like that online before you have some really compelling images you have some pictures of yourself uh, as a very handsome young young child <laughs> hasn't changed much um <laughs> a very attractive young child and um the it it i like how you have kind of you have these re very readable kind of portions of text uh, followed by some really compelling imagery that gives gives the reader a, a more rounded picture kind of of the whole situation and it's very easy to read and I wondered well kind of easy I mean yes it's easy to read but the content is heavy let's say that and um, now you said that after you have written this book it's up online you've been getting uh, response from people right would would you talk a little bit more in depth about the responses you've been getting kind of how it's made you feel how that process happened when did you put the book online when was it finished well, um, the, the book was published not, it was basically two weeks ago, almost oh exactly goodness. two weeks ago. So mm -hmm. I didn't realize it was so recent. Yeah, and it's now being translated into Spanish. It's going to be in a documentary. Um, Holy crap. Uh, I was not at all prepared for the response. And I, I think it speaks more to the problem than it does necessarily to the to the work itself. Um, you're you're talking about what one important thing for your your listeners, I think, is to know that it's free. Um, it's it's not meant. I'm not trying to make any money off this. Um, there's no there's no agenda behind it. I just want as many people to read it as possible because you never know who actually needs to read it. Um, in terms of the 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 format of it, where it's just little snippets of words, um, I stole that from the writer Vladimir Nabokov. He wrote oh, like yeah. Lolita and yeah, a bunch of bunch of good novels. And uh, he he would travel around the country with his wife. They would take road trips, and he would write out his novels by hand 
on note cards, um, one after the other. And that just stuck with me. And so when I tried it to write it this time, not only did it match up with the EMDR that I was doing uh, as therapy, um, it also made it manageable for me to actually get through the story, just little bit by little bit by little bit, rather than um, a whole chapter at once or a whole page at once. I'll just write one sentence. And then after that, I'll write two more sentences. And just doing it that way was what I needed to get from the beginning to the end. Um, the composition, I, I, I feel, is very effective for the subject material. Like you said, um, it was hard for you to like write this whole narrative and tackle the whole thing all at once, and instead you broke it into little pieces and then right, put it into this whole story, and that was more manageable. I think for a reader, too, to just mm -hmm. kind of take in a solid account of, of right? Like, if, if, if you start at the beginning of the of the whole experience and just kind of plow yeah. through it, you might not have very many people who can read through that, right? And stay in one piece. Um, whereas your, your writing is sh kind of short, concise. You say what you need to say. There isn't much, like, fat <laughs> in the writing. And, um, and for me, reading it, it was very helpful because put into a con or it, it helped me imagine better how that thought process works someone who is in a situation of uh, right being the victim of uh, sexual predation it, it's a very complicated thought process um, and but you break it down in a very kind of manageable way you go right you you mention some very intense things in the story and then you switch to kind of processing some things and then you maybe switch to another part of the the experience and then um and it kind of all but it all flows flows together and um and since i'm still talking i'm going to uh, just bring up my next question which is choice you talked about choice and how you felt that you didn't have choice when you were going through this experience that mm. your mind processed it as you not having a choice in life, no, no choice about it, no choice. Um, and you also said that sexual predators, they choose their, their victims like very carefully, right? Could be like low-income children, right? Um, and I, I feel like some of those aspects, yeah, not having a choice, being low-income, being low-income a lot of time also involves feeling like you don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. um, and I wondered if you would just talk about that aspect of choice for a moment. Sure. I mean, that, that was the most difficult aspect of, of writing this to some degree. Um, is Because for me, I'm always trying to fi figure out, like, well, what should I forgive in other people? Mm. You know, how, you know. I can definitely forgive people if they have no choice in something. Um, if they have choice, then maybe I can judge them and maybe I can feel okay about them going to jail, etc. cetera. Um, but the oscillation between free will and uh, causality is really, really difficult. And I wish it was just one or the other. <laughs> I wish it was either that we are this way because of uh, chemical deficiencies in our brain. You know what I mean? I wish that there was just a scientific fact. Or 
I wish we were entirely um, free and everything that happens in our life was completely coming out of our own, um, you know, out of our own decision making, right? But in reality, it's actually those are those are two opposite poles of a unity. You know what I mean? The, and it's always somewhere in the gray area in between. And just kind of managing back and forth between those two poles is what I think might make for a good life. I'm not sure. Uh, like in, uh, in AA, right? They say... Um, you know, give me the, 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 what is it? The, give me the, I grew up Courage with to change the things I can't. Oh, give me the serenity to Gra- accept me the, the things I cannot change. Yep. <laughs> courage give to change. Give me the courage the, yep. to change the things I can and the wisdom, wisdom to, to know, know the, the difference. difference. Yep. Right? Yep. So for, for me, the most difficult part is the wisdom to know the difference between what you can change and what you can't, mm-hmm. what you can forgive and what you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's what I think a lot of us are, are struggling with, so. Let's just say that quote again, Ari, did you? Oh, um, what is it? Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you. I recited that. Quote. Very often, as a child, mm. I grew up in AA, so that's, yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah, I guess, um, yeah, the, just the part on, on choice really, really hit me because, right, if you, the, that wisdom to, to know the difference between the things that we can change and the things that we can't change as a child, that's, right, a lot of times not there because mm-hmm. we live our lives so under the umbrella of other people's choices that we may not think that we have choices in situations where we really do. But in the case of an adult, right, who is being a sexual predator towards a child, it can create a huge uh, atmosphere of the child not having a choice because Mm -hmm. adults call the shots in children's lives, right, for the most part. And uh, a child can feel that, that they are beholden to the adult's authority, especially if the adult is a caretaker, Mm-hmm. Right then, that makes the child all the more vulnerable, and it's that that lack of choice. I think that I, I still want to focus on that a little bit, um, mm-hmm. and because if you feel a, as a child that you don't have choice, then y- you have to wait until you have a choice, right? Mm-hmm. Because children a lot of times don't have the outlet to say or the wherewithal, the wisdom to know that this is something that they can change um, or how they would change it, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, yeah, I don't know, how do you, right, you, we're saying that communication is so important for changing these things, and, and yes, communication is very important, uh, but somehow also em- empowerment uh, is also really important, or how do we give children who are in a compromised situation a, a, s- a sense of choice, or is that something that children, right, that we, is that something that will happen eventually, <laughs> right? <laughs> Kids um, have no sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, again, this is a situation where, it, like, I don't have it figured out, you know. I, I can't claim to be an expert, but as a father, um, the way that we're talking to my son is only, like, four. We're already starting to talk about, like, 
Oh, no, that's your body. You're the boss of your body. You, 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 no, you get to make the rules, you know. Oh, you don't want a hug right now? All right, that's cool. That's cool. You, you don't have to have a hug. Um, things like that, you know, making sure that he asks people before he goes and hugs with them or wrestles with them or whatever, you know. I, I think that starting early and just easing into that conversation makes the harder conversations a little bit easier down the road. Mm -hmm. um, we're also starting to talk to him about the difference between secrets and surprises, you know, mm -hmm. that a surprise is something that you don't tell people and that's okay. Like that because, but a secret is, you know, that, that is something that feels bad not to tell people, you know, it makes you feel bad inside not to, or to, to keep this thing a secret, you know, so just starting to get the wheels turning a little bit in that direction so that, you know, hopefully he's a little bit more prepared than I was um, if something like this, God forbid, were ever to happen. You know. Yeah, um, what you're saying actually really rings true for me. I have a six-year-old son. He's just about six. And mm -hmm. uh, a lot of my, my parent friends I've been so thankful for because uh, I realize that the way we speak to children these days uh, – has really changed from the way uh, I was spoken to as a child or the way children were spoken to when I was a kid. No one ever talked about the sovereignty of my body. You know, no one ever told me that if I didn't want somebody to give me a hug, I didn't have to get a hug. You know, they, we tell kids a lot of times, oh, go run up and give your grandpa Joe a kiss, you know, and like if the kid says, no, I don't want to, we say, go give your grandpa Joe a kiss, right? <laughs> and, uh, but I, I've definitely um, had now, nowadays, you know, if a kid doesn't want to give someone else a hug, they don't have to. And we say, exactly. you, don't, you don't have to give that person a hug if you don't want to. And, mm -hmm. um, and that is where communication, again, comes in. When we communicate these things to our children, you don't have to let someone touch you or give you a hug if you don't want to. Your body is your, your uh, territory. And you don't have to let anybody, right? And if somebody does, please, by all means, tell tell us until we want to know mm -hmm. so that we can uh, make sure that you're okay sort of thing. Um, do you have any other insights? Uh, I, anyone listening, right, to um, words that we can tell our, our children so that they are more prepared for situations or know that, that their bodies are their sovereign territory. And if anybody is not respecting that, 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 that needs to be told to someone right? That they, that is how they have a choice, how children have a choice. If we can communicate that to them, right? We, by telling them from the get-go adult behavior that is not okay in any sh way, shape, or form. Um, you know what? We are, we're getting into, oh my goodness, time always flies on this show. I, and I'm sorry to have to say that we only have about half an hour left. So, um, we're going to play another song and we're going to give you guys uh, a little, a little break, uh, out there. And uh, Ari, do you have any requests? I like to request, so I play covers and originals. And uh, anything? I never remember the names of the songs that I like. <laughs> um. well, I'm just going to throw one out there then. Okay. All right. Um, this is going to be another. You know, we're, I'm going to play some originals tonight. This is going to be another one, and uh, I'm I'm going to go for the soothing vein because uh, this is <laughs> an intense conversation. <laughs> um. And uh, so this is a song called uh, Mind Misaligned. And I'll just lift up this mic if I can. Here we go. We're going to turn down this just a tiny bit and, and go for it. Mm -hmm. 
Observe, reserve, persevere, preserve Self, please, if you have the nerve Give to love and love to give Cause living without it gets expensive What do you need? And what do you feel? And when is it ever enough? And how do you feel? so easy just to say life's rough so hard to soften to find what is tough for every single yes there's an endless list of Everything else Put my mind aside It's got me misaligned Forget what's in my head Ask my heart instead Do you want to live? Yes I do Yes I do How much can you give? Up to you, up to you Let me take it from here, I will proceed with care I know you have good intentions, but you are trapped in convention If today were your last, would you spend it in the past? Love each more
live to love and love to give Cause living without it gets So that song is called Mind Misaligned. And, you know, um, sometimes I know I shouldn't be thinking of other things while I'm playing songs, but uh, sometimes, especially while I'm interviewing uh, folks, I start thinking about things while I'm playing the song. Confession, don't tell anybody I said that. Um, And I can't help but think, because I'm asking you, Nathan, like you have all the answers or something, but I'm, right? How And you asked, um, Ari, also, how do we, it's a systematic it's a systemic problem. Systemic. S- yeah. Uh, and how how do we uh, change the systemic problems? Well, so the system is made up of a bunch of parts, right? A system uh, only exists because humans m- make it exist, right? There wouldn't be a system if there weren't humans. So mm-hmm. the cure to the systemic problem starts with humans, right? And uh, you said communication, Nathan, which is amazing, communication. And I, I want to throw something else in there because I just sang a song all about love. And... Um, where uh, if you are right ex- if you are experiencing uh, s- sexually predatory behavior in your life like you're a victim something like that um and and you're not feeling like you're able to say anything about it or tell anybody there is a glitch in the love situation in your life right um cuz love uh is is felt and we know if love is 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 real, right? I mean, uh, we have a natural sense of of, of a loving relationship. I, I think where we know what what good love is, and we know what not good love is, right? Um, and if we have a better sense <laughs> as a society of what healthy love, right, between human beings, not even in just intimate human beings, but healthy love between human beings looks like, and what that feels like, then that is a very good compass to steer by. But a lot of us and grow up in environments where we don't, we aren't grounded in a sense of right what what healthy love is, what 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 that feeling is, because maybe our parents right aren't living in that sensation, um, and we're not seeing that in the relationships around us. And so, how do we know what to base our ideas of healthy relationships on? Where do we right know? Or how do we if we're not loved by our parents right or if, right if we're born into families where we don't experience that then how do we know to expect that from from other people from relationships right i think that a lot of people don't expect enthusiastic consent because they've never seen it they don't know what it looks like right so how do we right how do we systemically change right to a system where where love is part of the system because i don't really feel uh, that it's a very big part of the system right now um, but it's a very, very intrinsic part of a human system. I've watched my son now grow to the age of six, and he would be nowhere without love from his parents. He would, he would, and, and the, the amount of love that he has needed from us as, as his, right, my, my ex, who there's not much love between my ex and me, but for our child, there's a ton of love. And I just, I couldn't imagine, um, what where he would be if he didn't have that love coming from his parents and i 
it breaks my heart to think how many children out there don't get that love from their parents, and therefore, how can they have that have that compass in their lives that guides them to healthy or right or through unhealthy relationships towards healthy relationships both with themselves and and with others like where do we right where, where does that love come from if we're not getting it from 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 when we're babies well yeah i mean this is brutal stuff a lot a lot of it but on the other side of it is that love you know uh, and joy and just you know enthusiasm and relief you know um i i i hope that i i put that into this book as well i hope that that comes across as well um is that you know doing doing this work can be excruciating but on the other side of it is exactly what you're talking about it's just the other side of this is just a glow, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really, really important part, what you just said there, that it's not all um, bumblebees, honey, and roses and getting from, right, the terrible trauma and the the story of, of our past or or your, whoever's past, right? It's not like you, you cross the honey river and there is the joy. Um, it was a slog, it's a slog for, for all of us to work through that trauma, right? Because it kind of installs itself in your body. And then you have to learn uh, how to get it out. And each person is different. Uh, ev different things work for every different person. So even if I were to say, well, I have all this trauma. What worked for you, Nathan? And you tell us EMDR worked great for you. Well, I might go and try out EMDR and say, hmm, I didn't get the same result oh, never mind, it doesn't work, I'll never heal, mm -hmm. right? Well, no, that's not the answer. Well, then you have to go try something else. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nathan, you said that meditation has been very helpful for you. And Ari... And dance. And dance, meditation and dance, right? Mm -hmm. um, and Ari, you said that meditation and dance are very helpful for you. Mm -hmm. I am, I'm going to put myself on the same page <laughs> as both of you guys. I find meditation and dance very helpful indeed. Playing music, yeah. So I wondered in the last 20 minutes of this conversation, uh, if we can turn, turn the tone and talk, instead of talking about how to, how to cope with trauma and trauma, maybe we could talk about how to constructively come through those experience, resources, things that have worked for you guys, and right? Because uh, that's another problem, right? Not just, well, first you have to communicate that this happened to you, and you have to realize that maybe the love that you've been getting in your life hasn't been, right, a very constructive, or maybe it wasn't really love. It, it wasn't love. If it wasn't making you feel good, well then, great, fine, we've communicated, we've acknowledged that we weren't really getting the love that we thought it was love, well, what do we do now? It's still going to be a slog, right? It's not going to, it's not like you can just acknowledge that something's happened to you and walk away from it. You have to kind of root it out of, out of your system. And well, how has meditation been helpful for you, Nathan? Would you talk about your, do you have a meditation practice or what does meditation look like? For um, you? Yeah, I mean, pretty, I mean, it's pretty simple. It's mostly just, you know, following the breath and just following it in different shapes and just, putting attention onto different parts of my body and just, you know, um, just being aware of my body, you know, which is, is something that I have not had a lot of experience with. 
Um, and another, other than meditation, actually, um, uh, bad poetry, like <laughs> bad, bad high school poetry. Um, so when I go back and look at what I was writing in high school, like through all my notebooks or whatever, it is so embarrassing. It is just, it, it is so awful. And I went to these, these poet, poetry readings, um, and heard so much bad poetry and, <laughs> and it, and it saved my life. Mm. It, it saved my life. It was, it was that bad, horrible poetry was, was more important to me than Pablo Neruda mm. or Shakespeare or any of that, because we were all practicing, right? We were practicing, we were learning how to tell the truth to each other. And like, so, so, even though I will never show anyone any of those notebooks ever, uh, like bad poetry, it meant everything. It meant every everything to me. I I just love that you said that. Um, um, that's what my show is based on. Basically, uh, is is doing it despite it not being perfect, right? Like huh. we have to yeah. put perfection aside so that we can function because no one starts off with perfection, nobody. And, and should perfection even be something we're going for? No one is perfect. So it's like you're always aiming for something that you'll never get to. So if, uh, right, if what comes out of your traumatic experience is bad poetry and it leads to healing, well, then that is some invaluable bad poetry right mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, every show that I do here, um, I, I never really know what's going to happen, and there there are failures with the show, and I make mistakes online and <laughs> on live, and all sorts of things happen, and the show is never planned. I never plan it, and I, and I I feel like that's really like like life. We can't plan in advance what's going to come out of us. We just have to kind of aim, and then and and follow that aim. But it's not like we're going to go straight to the target, <laughs> and um, I. But what you just said about writing a bunch of bad poetry, write, whatever it is you need to do to get, get it out of your system, write a whole bunch of bad poetry. Write, write 50 terrible short stories. Put them mm -hmm. away and don't look at them for 10 years as long as it makes you feel fine and better, right? Or like you've gotten something out of your system, then oh my God. Oh, well, you, should, you should see me dancing. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's so Same. ridiculous. Same. You know what I mean? Or like... Or, or or bad music, you know, like like high school bands or whatever. They, you know, like like it. It's joyful, it's authentic, and and bad poetry saves more lives than the the Nobel Prize winners. I can guarantee that. Thank God for bad poetry, <laughs> Ari. Oh, I just want to say that learning to be okay with sucking at things or just not being good at them and doing them anyway saved my life. Um, I was a non-believer when it came to meditation and essential oils and all that weird healing stuff. And I reached a point where literally everything else did not work and I was suffering anyway. And so if I was going to try new things that were totally weird to me at the time and just sit there and try to meditate and just completely suck at it like screw it like everything sucks so why not give it a shot and so anything bad poetry bad music bad anything it's learning to just not need it to be perfect like it's not about being perfect it's about finding the things that 
help you cultivate that joy because joy is such a beautiful thing and I feel like it's it's a really good way to heal that trauma is just to cultivate as much joy as you can and to not be embarrassed or afraid and to just leave your ego out of it because you're going to suffer anyway. And there's a yeah, lot. I, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, no, you, no, you're talking about like love and I think that uh you know, I'm I'm not I'm no expert but like it it takes practice. Mm -hmm. Like you just have to find ways to practice, practice dancing, practice poetry, practice being honest with people, practice, you know, practice telling hard truths, practice mm -hmm. all of these things, you know. It doesn't just magically happen, you know. No. And when you when you share your imperfections with other people, it takes the weight off their shoulders to be perfect because we all somehow think that we have to be perfect. And um, then when you can share with each other's imperfections and accept each other despite the imperfections, there's there's joy in that. Like, mm -hmm. There's interhuman uh, interaction that happens then mm -hmm. where people aren't trying to show each other that they're perfect anymore and they can let all of that fall away and just be themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, they're <laughs> happy, imperfect selves. And what a wonderful place to be, right? We None of us have to be perfect for one another. Somehow our culture has taught us that we do have to be perfect for one another. But I think we've reached a point where we can say, no, there, no mm -hmm. one's perfect. And we're actually much better off and healthier with ourselves if we uh, acknowledge our imperfection. And um, Nathan, you said another in very interesting thing that I'd like to come back to for a moment. And you said that when you meditate, you are in your body. And mm. I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because we are not trained uh, in our culture uh, to be in our, our bodies, right? Um, we are trained to be in our brains. Our school system trains us to be in our brains, it trains us to be analytical and to honor the analytical. And everything that happens in the body is just like well, as important as like feces and pee, right? Like mm. just get rid of it. Don't pay attention to it. Don't talk about it. But... um when you find presence in your body, you, f you allow the body sensations to, um, to, to be right, to be processed, or you even become, allow yourself to become aware of them. You, um, you open up, you open up space in, in your, in your awareness where, um, before you couldn't tell what your body bodies always give very honest feedback right brains don't minds don't give very honest feedback <laughs> feedback but bodies always give very honest feedback and so if you tune in to your body and you can be aware of the sensations and accept them right uh, we used to talk a lot about kindness compassion and curiosity and building that sense of awareness within ourselves viewing our bodies with kindness compassion awareness uh, when we're meditating, curiosity, so that when we do have sensations that come up in our bodies, we don't immediately say, don't listen to that, that's emotional, blah, 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 blah. Whatever it is, right, we, we're trained to not listen. We're trained to sit, pay attention to the teacher. We're trained to sit, pay attention to what it is we're focusing on. We're trained to use our minds to analyze things, but we're not really trained to use our minds to analyze our bodies constructively. Hmm. We're trained to use our minds to turn our bodies off and so if, if, we are, if we can also bring a sense of bodily awareness into our right development from children onwards, gosh, it would have been so helpful for me to uh, be able to process the messages coming from my body with more compassion, uh, curiosity, and kindness than self-deprecation, uh, denial, <laughs> stuffing it back down, ignoring it, right? Um, 
So you said, Nathan, that meditating puts you in, in your body. And I wondered if you would describe, in your own words, why that was so important for you. Mm. Well, because when, when I was experiencing abuse, um, what's really, really common is, is to completely dissociate. So I would, I would send my mind away from where I was being hurt, which was my body. And I did that so often and for so long that I just came to feel like that was normal, that my, my mind and my thinking brain and the part of me that makes words should be far, far away from um, my feet and my hands and you know my ribs and my blood. And um, I think becoming a whole person a person who can like sit with discomfort, mm. who can have hard conversations. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of that is just bringing my mind back into my body. And every time I do it, I, it just kind of blows my mind how big it is in here. Like there, <laughs> yes. is this, there is this vast landscape. There is an entire continent that I was exiled from. Mm. And it's just my corporeal body you know it's just it's just you know it's just these hands and these teeth my mouth and my knees and you know uh yeah head shoulders knees and toes i guess it's just your corporeal body as you said but um it's it's also an energetic right system that is uh, energetically operating the way uh, all human uh, systems uh, right operate it's that same life energy and um and in your body and so that vast kind of feeling that's anybody can can access that if they give it some attention and then i think another reason what you just said about turning your mind off to your body uh, the body is so full of so many strong powerful right even scary feelings that are so corporeal that it can take your body over it can feel unpleasant right and how do we allow those feelings to flow through our body rather than stifling them and pushing them away and saying, oh, what a terrible feeling. I never want to feel that feeling again. But if you stuff it away, is it, it, it's going to like stay in your body forever. Whereas mm -hmm. if we can cultivate, right, it, it's all energy. It's going to, if the feeling is, right, your body is going to be the same size it is, regardless of whether it has the horrible feeling or not. So if we can let it flow through the energy system, then we get rid of it. And we're still, right, still human, still whole, still... <laughs> right, it, the, the feeling didn't break us. Those feelings, they they might feel like they could break you, but but they can't. They're just they're feelings. Mm. Um, and I've been babbling on and on. It's already we only have five minutes left. Left, Ari, would would you have anything that you would like to say or ask Nathan? Yeah, I was kind of thinking about something earlier today as someone who's survived a lot of trauma and you know, been abused by caretakers and partners and, you know, the people that you, you should be able to turn to and feel safe with. Something I think about a lot is, like, learning to receive love again. Like, something I struggle with, and I was just wondering what your thoughts on that are. Like, is it a struggle receiving love from people because of what you've been through? Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult. And I, I can't say that I 
am any better at this than you. You know, mm-hmm. I think that I think I'm right there with you, and that I'm learning this too. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wish that I could say something perfect mm-hmm. and say that it will somehow be easy, but I all I can do is just say that I feel that too, mm-hmm. and I struggle with that too, mm-hmm. and um, it it makes me feel good that we're not alone at least mm-hmm. trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Same. Thank you. Um, and uh, thank you both for being present uh, for this conversation today. Um, Nathan Langston, you, I'm, I'm just going to repeat this for our listeners out there. You have written a book, and it's called um, I Need to Tell You Everything. And you can find it at uh, Tell Everything Art. I'm sorry, Tell Everything dot Art backslash Tell Everything Art. And uh, this is an online book that anybody can read, and it is um, available uh, free of charge. And it is about your experience with sexual abuse uh, for a prolonged period of time uh, during your childhood. And what a, a we've been talking about it now for an hour and 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually just have to comment on how hopeful and energized and positive I feel after talking uh, to you both. And Nathan, uh, we just did the first Google Hangouts today, so I I scarcely know you except from having read your book and now talking to you. And what a wonderful thing to be able to talk with uh, someone I barely know and a good Mm -hmm. friend of mine to to an audience that I I couldn't even imagine who all is listening uh, and come through a conversation uh, about sexual predation, abuse, and right surviving such things and and feel myself right now so uh, so light in my my being and so happy to have shared all of this content with you both and um to be putting that out on the airwaves and um yeah i uh i hope that in in talking about these things we are also getting words out there right that people need to just hear more regularly mm-hmm. that people need to be able to take in um, because words like these were not on the radio when I was a child, and people were not talking about these things. And then when this experience happened to me, right, <laughs> when I was the victim of sexual abuse, I, I, I felt like I was the only one. Mm-hmm. I felt like, right, there was no one like me who had experienced this terrible thing. And now I know that this is not true 30 years later. 30 years later, I know that I am not the only one. And the shame of that whole experience, it's like a weight lifted from me because I know that other people, many other people, I hate to say that it's not a few, many, (laughs) many people uh, are on that same page and have experienced that. And that also, hopefully, the more people who have experienced it, who talk about it, like you, Nathan, and write a book about it, that other people can go and read, then people who have not experienced, hopefully, and perhaps in hearing more people talk about it, will have more empathy, more compassion, more understanding for those who have experienced it. Um, and um, let's see, we only have a few minutes left in the show. So, Nathan, I would like you to go ahead. I, I, I want to um, especially talk to any of your listeners who are dudes, who are men. This is a very, very difficult thing 
for men to talk about. It's hard for us to talk about anything. Uh, it's hard for us to talk about feelings. It's hard to talk about um, a lot of things oftentimes, um, especially something of this magnitude. But if you are a guy and this has happened to you, know that there are a lot of us out there. There are a lot of us in the world and a lot of us getting through it. So just know that you are not alone. Yeah, you know what? I have one final note on that. I am so tired of men being unable to express their emotions or there being a stigma around men expressing their emotions. I have been around my six-year-old son long enough to know that he is chock full of emotions <laughs> and uh, needs his love and his mama and he needs to express his emotions just as much as any little girl. And um, and 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 i i just want to put out there on the airwaves like please women want to hear men express their emotions we want that so badly um because right women are always like the emotional ones mm -hmm. but that is such a fabricated lie men are just as emotional as females they have just been told their whole lives to put it away and how can you learn from something that you've put away your emotional system is part of your wisdom system mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you put it away you won't have ever ever have any access to it nor will you ever be able to really examine your life mm -hmm. um so thank you so much nathan for saying that and uh um, I give all men out there permission to express their emotions as much as they want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a shared responsibility. I think we all have a part in making space for men to feel comfortable with that. Absolutely. Totally. Um, well, uh, we're going we're gonna to wrap up the show. Normally I would play another song, but uh, the gentleman who comes in after me uh, has some setup to do, and I don't want to step on his toes, so... Um, Nathan Langston, I am so appreciative uh, for the time that you've taken today to talk to us uh, here in Montana from Seattle uh, about your traumatic experience with sexual abuse uh, as a young man. And I, I am so very uh, appreciative also of the courage that you have, that you have uh, continued with in your life that you that it's a courageous process to come through that experience to express it uh, and to come through it yourself emotionally and also then to admit that you still have a ways to go all of that is um, it's it's like music to to our ears actually it sounds like it would be a weird thing to say that content like that is music to our ears mm. but um, it's a very healing message and it lets everybody know like hey it's hard it's not going to be easy but it's going to be way worse if you don't go through it, uh, if you don't right, get it out of your system. So um, no pain, no gain. That old adage, what a horrible adage. But it actually kind of applies in this situation. And um, yeah, so uh, Ari, do you have any final comments? I don't think so. I'm just, I'm really grateful that we were all able to come together and talk tonight. It's been pretty great. So thank you. Yeah, it's been an honor. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And um, Ari, uh, I'm going to give you 100% credit for introducing me to Nathan Langston. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right, folks, we're going to put a song here on the computer for you. And uh, thank you all so much for tuning in to uh, our co wonderful community radio station here in Missoula, 105.5 KFGM, Missoula's community radio station. Uh, I'm going to put a random song on for you here on the playlist. It's called Walk, Don't Run. And uh, 
there we go. Take it slow, right? Don't rush through life. Take it slow. Uh, we love you. We'll be back next week. Ciao for now.